building and towering crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Exciting episode of the Fire and Water podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irony Mobile Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the nostalgic Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I am nostalgic, but I'm also excited. I'm excited because as of the next episode, we are going to rechristen this show Aquaman v. Firestorm, the dawn of podcasting. And I'm very excited about that. And you know, if I hadn't been on Facebook 10 minutes ago, <laughs> this would have been another one of those of me going, what are you talking about? <laughs> I promised, I promised on this show a couple of weeks ago to not be negative about that movie. I promised. But damn it, Warner Brothers, <laughs> you're not making it easy. All right. That's all I'm going to say. You're not making it easy. But okay. I am perfectly fine with the title. Okay. I really am. Okay. The V is a little much, but it should have been verses rather than the V. But either way, um, no, nah, I'm fine with it. I think it's good. Okay. So right. it's a uh, Batman versus Superman. What is it? Dawn versus... of Justice. What is it? Dawn of Justice. Dawn of Justice. All right. Well, see that that's no different than Captain America: The First Avenger. Why can't it just be Batman versus Superman? Why do they, Why do you need a subtitle? Why did Captain America need to be the First Avenger? Because they tried to sell that movie overseas, uh, they, they, they tried to downplay the America part of that movie overseas. No, it was to get you ready for the Avengers. No, it was... Yes. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> anyway, folks, uh, we are back for another exciting episode of the show, and we are nostalgic and excited because we are here to talk about the old days. <laughs> it is, but in a good way. No, 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 the happy old days. So, like, think about it. It's uh, We're recording this in middle, middle, late, mid to late May, and summer's right around the corner. And my good friend Rob, during the summer, he always waxes nostalgic for his favorite summer days. And uh, he said, let, he, he got excited, so let's do an episode where we talk about some of his favorite old comics. As you guys have heard us talk, or him talk many times about his mountain comics. So we're finally going to hear firsthand about that, which then is going to lead us into another discussion about summer 
which is uh, what, what happens in the summer in comic book world always? Crossovers. Crossovers. So we're going to blaze through some of our favorite and maybe not so favorite crossovers <laughs> from the 80s and 90s and just have a little fun with it. Absolutely. But before we get rolling, we need to thank our sponsors. and our th- um, the, Inst- uh, the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Rob, what you got? Okay, this is going to be related to something I'm going to talk about momentarily. Uh, I am going to recommend Savage Sword of Conan, Volume 11, uh, which, which, coll- <laughs> yes, which collects a whole bunch of issues of the classic black and white Conan magazine. Uh, after many journeys trading his feared swarm, sword arm of gold, Conan returns to the land of his birth, Samaria, only to find his family murdered and his sister enslaved by a ruthless rival clan. Always <laughs> happy fun times in Hyboria. Uh, this is published by Dark Horse. Writers include Larry Akata, Michael Fleischer, Don Carr, artists Pablo Marcus, Val Merrick, Ernie Chan, Dave Simons, Rudy Nebrez. Cover by Michael Golden. Can't be sad. Appropriate name, Michael Golden. Page count, 536. Black and white goodness. Normal price, $19.99. In stock trades, 42% off. Only $11.59. That is... That's like... A, that's like Two cents a page or something. Not even that. It's fantastic. These are a they, ton they, of fun. They, they squeeze in eight more pages than DC showcases. That's impressive. Yeah, <laughs> that's the important thing. <laughs> that's awesome. I, uh, you know, I have actually, I, 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 those old black and white Marvel magazines were really something special. I really love. I, I read a lot of the Punisher black and white magazines. I have not read the Savage Sword of Conan, but I had a friend of mine that swore by the black and white Savage Sword of Conan. He didn't read the monthly comic, only the magazine, and he said they were just awesome. At one point, uh, it was Marvel's like best-selling comic book. A magazine. I read an interview with Larry Hama, and he said that like because it was it was bought by a different audience, like it actually sold more than any of the color, color comics for a brief time. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, my selection is one that is also related to uh, what I'm going to talk about, but um, and I think we've actually talked about it on the show here before, but. Bear with me, folks. It is Jack Kirby's Omnibus Hardcover, Volume 2. This collects uh, a bunch of Jack Kirby's tales from the 70s and 80s, including Star, uh, The Sandman, his Justice League, Atlas, and a lot more. Um, so you're going to get the black, you're going to get issues of Black Magic, Kung Fu Fighter, Sandman, DC Comics Presents. But more importantly, you're going to get Superpowers. You get Volume 1. Sorry about that. But you also get Volume 2, Issues 1 through 6 which uh, are some of my absolute favorite, favorite superhero comics. We'll talk about those in a little while. And uh, so, obviously, uh, a lot of these are written and drawn by Jack Kirby. Page count, 624. Take that, <laughs> Mr. Kelly. <laughs> and this one's in color, baby. Wow. And a hardcover. And a hardcover. Normally goes for thirty nine ninety nine. You can get it for 42% off. And uh, your price is only $23.19. That's a no. huge deal. Yeah, I mean, it is. Seriously. <laughs> Full color, 624 pages, Jack Kirby for $23.19. Oh, my gosh. So our thanks to InStock Trades. Again, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off, with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Mr. Kelly, spin me a tale of those days. (laughs) That's the 70s. Uh, in, inflation ruled the land. No, it was, uh, as, as I've mentioned on the show, uh, before, um, obviously every August, my parents and I would go on vacation in the Pocono mountains in Pennsylvania where we didn't own a cabin, but there was a, 
uh, a small community of cabins run by this nice old family, and we always got the same cabin every year. It was the one closest to the lake that looked out over the, the Lake Wall and Paw Pack, and, you know, they reserved that space for us every year because my parents had been going there. A couple, my mom had been going there since she was a teenager. And then when she met my dad, they started going, and then when, then when we had the kids, they had the kids, we started going. So collectively, like, we went there, my family went there for, like, 30 years straight or wow. something like that. And I went there from birth until like around 1990, 1990 or 1991. I went like my first or two summers after the Kubert School and then I, I stopped. Um, and it was always over my birthday because it was always mid-August, same time every year. And obviously I bought comics year-round, 24-7. <laughs> you know, there was never a time I wasn't. But because the cabin was fairly isolated, there was no TV, uh, there was no phone. Which is like imagine that now. <laughs> no TV, no phone, no phone, no lights, yeah. no motor car. We had to fight off dinosaurs to get the groceries. Um, you know, you're basically relying on the radio and stuff to read, and that was part of the point of it was the relaxation that you were away from. You know, I mean, it would ruin it to have a TV if you're, you know, you're not going out on the lake and going out on the boat or whatever you're doing. You know, to sit there, sit inside, watch TV. So part of the romance of going to the Poconos every year was the comics I bought because as a kid, I can only get to a couple of stores in my local area, you know, the Seven Eleven or the newsstand or whatever. But up, up there, there was like a thousand newsstands <laughs> and they all had different comics. I mean, this is an era where if any place sold periodicals, they also sold comics. That's gone. Mm. That's just gone. Yeah. Now. Yeah. But back then, every single store that sold even a newspaper had a couple of comics. They all did. And, you know, I, like, I don't, I'm not someone who looks back uh, with a lot of fondness on my childhood necessarily, and I would never want to go back to that. Like, I, I enjoy being an adult, or what, what passes for an adult. <laughs> I was going like, to say, you know, we do have a podcast. We do have a podcast about superheroes, about superheroes right? <laughs> yeah. I, it's the closest thing I can get. I mean, come on. Um, but, like, if I could go back, I, you know, you, you, you joke about the Who's Who show with the Wayback Machine. Yeah. If I had a way back machine, I think I would probably literally go back in time to like those days and wow. go shop at newsstands because to me that idea of like mystery of like not knowing what books are going to be there was so entrancing and it still is to this day to me. It still is just like this wonderful mystery that like you would walk in a store and you don't know what you were going to get. And as we'll talk about – as I'm about to talk about some of the comics that I bought, we'll see that like this was all stuff I would not normally buy. Because, of course, when I was at home, you know, I always bought Justice League. I always bought Brave and the Bold. I always bought Star Wars because that's the money I had. So I was forced to buy other comics that I wouldn't normally get because, you know, I already had the ones I knew, you know, were like the first tier buys. So I have a pile of comics here that I'm going to go. We're just going to just skip over them super fast. We're not going to get into detail. But some of these things are just really beloved to me. And one of the first one I'm going to talk about is Marvel Treasury Edition number 18, which is The Astonishing Spider-Man. And that is a collection of Marvel team-ups. And it's Spider-Man and the X-Men, Spider-Man and Werewolf by Night, Spider-Man and Iron Fist, and Spider-Man and Ghost Rider. Now, when you say Marvel team-ups, are they just him teaming up or Marvel, the actual comic Marvel team-up? They're all issues of Marvel team-up. Oh my god! Collected okay. together. I, have I told you how much I love Marvel Team Up? Yes, and okay. This is a this is a really fun collection. The cover features Spider-Man and all the heroes on a spotlight, which is parodying 
Paul McCartney and Wings' Band on the Run album cover. <laughs> I never knew that. Of course, I was that age. I didn't. Now, it's funny enough, like, I mentioned that, like, we listen to the radio a lot. Well, Paul McCartney and Wings was like, that was, a, like, the soundtrack to those vacations because he had a million hits in the 70s with Wings. And so I heard those songs a lot. So, like, I can never separate the music I listened to with from the comics because they were all wrapped up together. So it's sort of fitting that this cover parodies a Paul McCartney song considering – an album cover considering how prevalent he was back then. And then on the back cover, it's the same gag with all – everybody in a spotlight except it's the villains. <sighs> all in, in a dirty alley cowering in fear and stuff. Um, on, on top of the reprints, it features some interstitial material by Marie Severin, uh, including like a, a maze – where you have to help the Fantastic Four find Franklin Richards, who's lost in a maze. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a coloring section where everything is miscolored on purpose. Uh, I mean, just like it was one of the things where I was like, as a and it, you know, as a kid, I, mean, I always loved the Treasury editions, but I also loved that Marvel stuck in all this bonus goofy material in the middle of their books because it made them. It just reminded me like they didn't take anything too terribly seriously. You know, DC was so serious, even though I was yeah. more of a DC kid. But Marvel was completely okay with goofing on their characters. And I love this comic so much that I took a picture of it on the porch <laughs> of the cabin by itself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know where that photo is. It's it's in my parents' house somewhere, but I know it's around. But I literally was so in love with this comic. I just took a picture of it sitting in a chair. And there's another picture of me, age seven reading the comic on a couch, sitting next to my Star Wars figures. Is uh, that the one that's in the cover of your book? Or? Uh, no, 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 yeah. that's a different... But I, th- th- that photo will appear on the Tumblr. I'm gonna, okay. I will give it, because I have it. So it's going to go on the Tumblr, which is, of course, firewaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Uh, but yeah, it's me with my cousin, and I'm showing her the comic, and sitting next to me are all my Star Wars figures. It's adorable. It's an adorable picture. <laughs> so, I, and I, I can literally remember what store I got this comic at, and, like, I, you know, the treasures are always in the back, of course, because they're taller than the rest. And I remember spotting it, just being like, <gasps> you know, because the treasures weren't all that easy to find. You know, most newsstands didn't carry them. So this one is just, like, forever connected in my memory with those times. And it's really, you know, I said it's a really great I, – I can – I will never be able to separate it, and I don't want to. But I just love the comic. And the stories themselves are great. Spider-Man teams up with the X-Men, and it's art by Gil Kane. Um, yeah, and they're taking on Morbius, which is fantastic. Oh, wow. Um, Spider-Man and Ghost Rider take on a guy called the Orb, who has this horribly deformed face, which is awesome. Uh, it's, uh, it's just that's a not super the, That's not the uh, eyeball guy, is it? Yes. His, his head is a giant eyeball. You know what? I, th- I think he's actually like a major player in Original Sin. I'm not sure. Wouldn't shock me. Wouldn't shock me. I'm not kidding. He's, he's awesome. <laughs> So anyway, um, I have some other comics here that I wanted to mention briefly. Like um, you said, all the books that I bought were the ones I would never normally buy. Like Alpha Flight, uh, Iraq, Son of Thunder. Um, so, so what kind of years are we talking? Can you give me? Oh, some I'm years? sorry. Yeah, I should have given the years. Well, this was. I mean, like I said, this was from birth on. So, but right. I, I was basically like consciously buying comics on my own from around 1977. All the way through, like, 1991. Okay. So you're talking, like, a 15-year span. And, like I said, this pile of comics I have here are all ones that I bought up in the up in the mountains. Of what we call them. The Poconos, we just called them the mountains. But I've got the Avengers, which is the one with um, – which is the, the one I'm holding on the cover of Hey Kids, which is the okay, one with wait, the wait. yellow jacket. 
You can't just leave me hanging on uh, Alpha Flight. You can't do that to me. Why? What? What's what, what issue is? It? Oh, number forty, which is the one. The, remember the, the that month where Marvel had all yeah. the giant head covers. I know exactly. It's this the is, picture of Heather. Is Heather, Heather, and I actually yeah. have a photo of that of our dog Patrick sitting on the couch and sitting in the, on the table is the issue of Alpha Flight. <laughs> I always forked in a comic somewhere. It's like where's Waldo? Um, <laughs> I bought issues of Batman. I bought an issue of Brave and the Bold, number 179, with Batman in it. And ironically, the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I bought two issues of Captain America, which that's another thing about newsstands. Is that the, like if the newsstand vendor was not terribly attentive, he would leave older issues behind. Mm-hmm. So you could yeah. get two at once. And so I have Captain America number 262 and 263, which are both written by J.M. Demetrius nice. and art by Mike Zack. Ooh. Can't beat that. It was like a great run. And then the very next issue of Captain America I have is 275, which came out exactly a year later. <laughs> so, like, I didn't buy Captain America in between. I just I'm bought sorry. it when I was up at the Poconos. Um, there was a Captain America annual that I bought. Uh, I bought a whole bunch of Conans. I bought Conan the King, an issue of Dazzler. Um, ah! What? I was just laughing. Oh, I mean- yeah. The only uh, time I ever bought Dazzler was for Secret Wars, too. <laughs> uh, the Defenders, the Marvel adaptation of Free Your Eyes Only, the James Bond movie. I've got uh, issue number one. <laughs> oh, Free Your Eyes Only? Yeah. Yeah, I got number, I got number two. I bought issues of <laughs> hey, Hulk. Put them together and read it. There you go. <laughs> um, I, got, I bought an issue of Kazar, which I never would have bought otherwise. Right. Nothing against Kazar, but I never would have bought that. <laughs> um, Marvel Team-Up. Marvel 2-in-1. Marvel 2-in-1 was another one of the titles that I never bought at right, home. Which issue, which issue of Marvel 2? I got number 81, which is the thing in the Submariner versus Modoc, or should I say Modoc. Oh. Um, <laughs> what about Team-Up? Marvel, oh, Marvel Team-Up is uh, Spider-Man and Devil Slayer from the Defenders. Oh, geez, um, I've got an that. issue of Micronauts. <gasps> You're one of your favorites, Micronauts, which is number 35, which was a double-sized issue. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, an issue of New Teen Titans, the one where they go and they find Robot Man out in the forest. Remember okay. That one's yep, dead, yep. Like, like sort of dead 14, body. Number 14? 13. Very oh, close. Oh, so close. Very close. Um, and like I said, all the issues I have of New Teen Titans are a year apart. It's <laughs> 13, 25, and 37. So they're all a year apart. Um, Night Force, and another off-brand book. I bought two issues of Power Man and Iron Fist, number 74 and 75. Those are – if you like fun comics, get yourself Power Man and Iron Fist. Really? Yes, they're so much fun. Number 75 features them going back to the mystical land of Kunlun, which is Iron Fist's dimension. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It is, and they take on like these swamp creatures, and Power Man is completely out of his element. Those are awesome. Those are awesome. And number 75 features a beautiful painted cover by Bob Larkin. They spent the money to do a painted cover. It's so much fun. Oh, my God. I loved it. Um, the Marvel adaptation of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Another, Got it. Another movie thing, yeah. Is, is it, wait, is that issue or do you have the magazine one? No, the issues. The oh, individual. Because, so yeah, they magazine. released it as a magazine, yeah. Well, you know, I had both. I had the issues in the magazine. <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't have both, considering how much I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, I got, there are some issues of Star Wars, which is weird, because I remember always buying that comic um, you know, as soon as it came out. But um, something like uh, – there was something else like uh, All-Star Squadron I bought mm. up at the Poconos because that was – I bought that comic regularly. But I was like, well, hey, I'll just buy it here while it's, while it's here. Uh, I have issues of Warlord, an issue of What If – uh, what if Submariner had saved Atlantis from its destiny, which is not the most thrilling concept in the world. Um, <laughs> but one of the other things that um, 
I mentioned with the in-stock trades ad is that I indulged myself when I was in the uh, on vacation that I did not at home was buying the Marvel magazines because a the magazines were harder to find uh, at home and there you know I was desperate for more things to read so I bought two issues of Savage Sword of Conan number one seventeen and one eighteen and one eighteen features a beautiful painted cover by Joe Jusco who I am fortunate enough to call a friend now and. When that came out, I think it was 14, and the cover has Conan facing a giant slobbering monster with an absolutely gorgeous girl in a bikini. And I remember being like, I don't think my mom would like it if I bought this. <laughs> but I just snuck in it with all the other comics. Right. And because it was just like a little bit past what I probably should have been reading at that age, it just felt like so much cooler, you know, that I was buying these things or maybe, ain't, you know, for somebody a little older. Um I bought an issue of The Rampaging Hulk, which features – I'm going to put this up on the Tumblr too. It features a painted cover by Jim Starlin. Oh. And it's got – it's a battle between Hulk and Submariner, and it is the scariest Hulk face you've ever seen. It is – it's a giant close-up of the Hulk's face with Submariner standing there with his trident. And I remember being so transfixed at this cover when I saw it on the newsstand. And I still remember what newsstand I bought it at too. Hmm. I was just like, oh, my God, this looks like the Hulk is ready to murder somebody. And the whole issue is just Hulk and Submariner beating the crap out of each other for, like, 30 pages. Nothing wrong I with mean, that. No, nothing wrong with that at all. Um, and, in fact, the Rampaging Hulk story – I'm flipping through the pages right now. See, I did research. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the Rampaging Hulk story in question is uh, drawn by Keith Pollard and Alfredo Acala, and it is such beautiful. It's got some nice color washes to it. It is, it is such a great – it was such a great package, you know. Um, and then the other magazines, but were Warren. I bought Warren magazines because, again, oh, those, were, those were kind of aimed at adults a little or, you know, maybe older teenagers. And I bought a whole bunch of Warren magazines, and most of them have, have disappeared from the mists of time and memory. But I have one here that's Warren Presents Empire Encounters Comics. Now, for anyone not familiar with Warren, they produced Creepy, Eerie, Vampirella, um, all those, you know, sort of genre magazines, but because they had produced so much material over time, they constantly were reprinting things in the collections. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were doing basically trades before trades. So Empire Encounters comics were just a bunch of sci-fi stories put together between two covers. And I was such a Star Wars fan that I was buying anything involving space. It didn't matter. <laughs> now, on this particular cover, on the, on the banner ad, is at the top, Star Wars, two inside scoops, page 14. And then you get to page 14, and it's just like a one-page article about Star Wars. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, and but on the back cover, it's all Star Wars toys, uh, oh. which you could buy via the Warren Company that they held the uh, Captain Captain Company, which was their their direct mail thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like I, I, it's like those were some of the best times of my childhood, and they I will over, always associate my birthday with them. Of, of have, getting to read all this new kind of stuff, and it's amazing to me that there are things that I that happened to me only a couple of years ago that I can barely remember. Hell, there are girlfriends <laughs> that I barely remember, and yet there are I can read. I read that issue of Micronauts after yeah. after I think I mentioned this on the show once before. I read that issue of Micronauts for the first time in like 25 years, and I remembered it like it was yesterday. Oh, that's I awesome. remembered the panels, you know, everything about it, and. Uh, it's. Uh, I have not been back to the to the Pocono Mountains in twenty two years. Do your parents? Do your parents years. still go? No, they don't go. They 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 went for a couple more years 
after I stopped going and then they stopped going because my father retired and they could start going to Ireland and kind of going on bigger trips. And so oh. they never went back. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I have told Tracy I want to go back one year, uh, if just for the day. And I'm, I'm like dying to find out if any of these places are still around. Oh, I doubt they are. The one thing that gives me hope was I did a Google, uh, Google Earth uh, tour up there, and there was a little convenience store newsstand like about two miles from our cabin, and they had comics there. They only had a couple. They would carry like three comics, like two superheroes on an Archie. But my dad would go there every morning to get the paper and get milk or whatever. That place is still there. Oh, wow. I saw it on Google Earth. It's still it's still in business. And I'm like, I just want to walk it. It'll be like going into a time machine to, right. to be in there after 25 years. So I promised myself that this summer I'm going to go. And even if it's just for the day, I want to go and just go up to these places. Um, basically, there's only one road that cuts through the Poconos Mountain. And it, so every newsstand that I would hit is on this road. So I want to just go and find all these places and see if they're still there. They probably aren't, you know, because newsstands are pretty much gone. But And that will make me sad. But I'm so dying of curiosity that I want to experience it for myself. And damn it, if if they are still there and there's a comic book for sale, I'm buying it. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, I don't care what, it, what it is. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I am buying it. So It's Death Blood slash yeah. crossover number 14 <laughs> forever oh. evil all right all right here's the uh, box <laughs> i mean really you know uh so that's that is like my summer memory i can never i don't you know it's it, it's such a warm memory that uh I'm, I'm looking at this pile of comics right here and i'm like just giving me a big goofy grin on my face because it's, it's mm-hmm. such a nice thing so that's my summer memory of of buying comics well i've got some summer memories i was going to share too um now, my earliest memories of comics is I had a stack of just seriously worn comics, and I don't know if they were mine or I inherited them, but they were. They seemed to all be um, to Harvey or that did Sad. Who did uh, like Richie Rich? Was Harvey? That Harvey? That's Harvey. Yeah, yeah. they're all Harvey comics. I mean, it was Sad Sack, Richie Rich, and Casper. And Sad Sack was my favorite. And I mean, I read the mess out of these things. <laughs> and, and the reason why I don't know if they were mine or inherited is because they printed them since like the fifties. You know, I mean, they right. haven't stopped. You know, at that point. So uh, anyway, but but when I became a you know a discriminating collector, if you will, it, it happened in March nineteen eighty four. When and I, I probably told the story before, so I won't go into the detail. But when I bought Secret Wars, uh, the first volume, issue number two, that was when I officially became a comic book collector. Was uh, was Secret Wars because I I felt. Uh, shame because my friends made fun of me because I didn't know who Galactus was. Anyway, <laughs> that's um, an amazing factoid from your childhood. I've told you that before, though, yeah, right? That's not okay. that not that particular piece. That's oh, just amazing yeah. to me. That, that's what it was. it was all peer pressure and blame. I, I didn't know who uh, Galactus was. They all mocked me horribly. That is amazing. And, I didn't have a single and, friend that knew who Galactus was. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I mean, peer, at least it didn't lead me to drugs. Led me to comics, but you know, I don't know. <laughs> it cost me probably about the same amount of money. So. But my my real summer of comic collecting, my like my my lovely memory of of just stacks of comics and, and really reading my way through the summer was the summer of 1985. And I wanted to run through some of my favorite too. I don't have my comics here in front of me, but I, I've been spending time on Mike's Amazing World of Comics, and wow, that site is so awesome. Seriously, guys, 
Uh, you need to go out there and go to this feature called the newsstand. It's brilliant. <laughs> oh, it really is. And you can go, you can look, and Michael Bailey introduced me to this, by the way. So you can look up uh, when comics were on sale. So what I did was I went up and looked what comics were on sale in June, July, and August of 1985. Not cover dates, actually when they were on sale. And it's just like, oh, 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 oh. So now, of course, I had the regular ones I was getting, which would be like, you, you know, your Blue Devils, your Firestorms, uh, Iron Man, Justice League, X-Men were like the, the mainstays what I always got. But like you, Rob, I picked during the summers, I would buy a lot more comics than I normally did. And uh, at the beginning of that summer, um, actually in May, and, and sorry, I, I, this is not a happy piece of the memory, but um, I had something very tragic happen in my, in my life. My, my sister was killed in a car accident. Uh, she was 16 years old, and I was 12, almost 13, and um, you know, it was an event that changed our lives forever. Uh, my family split apart. My parents got divorced, and suddenly went from a family of you know four kids and two parents to just me and my mom because my sister was gone and the older two were out of the house. And so my mom and I did some traveling, and we had to do some different things in our lives. So one thing we did was we went on a trip to see her family her parents and uh, her cousins and stuff like that, which were up in Michigan. So we drove from Florida to Michigan and getting ready for the trip. You know, mom knew that she wanted me to read up, you know, have, have stuff to take with me. And I had read, uh, prior to that during the summer, I had read some, uh, I had read flash number three fifty. I don't know if you remember that was the last issue of the yes, flash. Yep. And it, it had actually sat on the shelf for a while. I felt sorry. I've actually bought it because I felt sorry for it. You're talking about comics <laughs> like sitting around at newsstands. And it, or it was either I felt sorry for it. It's like one of those where it's like, well, there's nothing else left. I've read everything I want to. So I bought that and read it. And, and then as, shortly before the trip, I also got the DC Heroes role-playing game. I talked about this on the Hero Points podcast, the, uh, the, the ever-remembered uh, Hero Points podcast, where uh, I found out about the death of Barry Allen. Sorry, spoilers. In, uh, by reading <laughs> What? Yeah, sorry. Uh, reading the DC Heroes role playing game, it said Barry Allen uh, died in Crisis on Earth. And I was just like, "What?" You know, I just read Flash three fifty, and now I find out Barry Allen's dead. I'm like, "Ah!" I was like, it, "It said he died in Crisis." I had to find out. So right as we're leaving town for this trip to Michigan, we pull into a drugstore, and I found on the shelf Crisis number eight. And Crisis number six. For a long time, I, my memory told me it was seven, but it wasn't. It was definitely Crisis number eight and number six. It was one of those situations where older comics were sitting on the shelf. So I bought those two and read the living crap out of them on this two-day trip. I don't know how many times I read them. I must have had some other comics with me, too. I probably had my mainstays of X-Men and Firestorm and all that, too. But So that's how, actually, I got into DC for the most part. Like, really got into it. It was, it was Crisis issues. Also on the trip, I picked up Superpowers. Volume 2, issues 1 through 3, because, uh, you know, Firestorm was in it, and I was already a Firestorm fan by that point, and Dr. Fate was in it, like, you know, I just, oh, I fell in love with superpowers, but I was sitting there, and I, I mean, and I trying to um, figure out how Crisis and superpowers fit together, because it didn't make sense, because, and I think I've told you this bit, too, sorry for repeats, but I, I knew Dr. Fate was on Earth 2. Right. You know, Firestorm was on Earth 1. How could they be on the same team? I didn't understand. <laughs> it drove me nuts. So anyway, on that trip, you know, I read those comics to death. I picked up some other comics here and there. And just – while my family was going through a very difficult time, I think I found uh, an opportunity to escape through comics. It was, it was a chance to put away all the stuff that I, I didn't even know how to deal with in a 12-and-a-half-year-old mind and find something like comfort food, if you will. 
And so those comics hold a really special place in my heart. I don't associate them with the tragedy, but I associate them with happy memories of being with my mom and being on this trip and just me and her. And then shortly after that, in September of that same, so really the end of the summer, but September, um, we were moving into a new house because, you know, things had really changed. It was just me and mom. And some stuff was being done, finalized at the house, and we had to stay in a hotel. So we're in, a, in, in my memory, we were in the hotel for like months. But in reality, it was probably a week. I don't know, whatever. But again, my mom wanted to stack me up with stuff to read. And I know I've told this on the Who's Who episode, but she gave me, we, or we bought a, a Who's Who number nine, which was the Green Lantern issue, which was my very first Who's Who comic, and bought it because I knew it would take me a long time to read. <laughs> Man, read that sucker to shreds. Same month, Marvel Saga number one comes out. So, I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I got enough reading to last a month there between those two. Um, now, this is where I'll, uh, now I'm going to start to just name some stuff that, thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, other stuff that I found that summer that I discovered. Like, my very first Daredevil comic was bought that summer, uh, was the Secret Wars 2 crossover. And uh, he and Dare- Daredevil and I have a long, long history there. Uh, West Coast Avengers number one, the monthly book. I picked that up at the time. These, again, these are unusual ones, ones I wouldn't normally get. Oh, gosh, what? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number five. I discovered Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the summer of 1985. Number five was on the shelf. I got a reprint of number four and started picking up reprints of the older stuff. And this is before the cartoon and all this. This is back when it was, you know, probably a year from exploding. Now, where did you get that comic? Comic book shop. That okay, point. At a comic now, shop. Okay. I was like, now, wow, now, talk, now I'm talking about the whole span of the summer. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 I've kind of closed out the trip. And I've closed out the, uh, uh, the the hotel. Now it's just over the span of the summer. These are various things I picked up, and all, and I did shop at a comic shop at that time. In fact, the comic shop clerk recommended Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to me, and uh, fell in love with it, and thought it was great. And my dad actually worked for a TV station, and a year later he uh, he calls me because uh, he was living in um, I guess Wisconsin at the time or something. He's like, "You're not going to believe what they just came in and pitched me." I'm like, what? Because he just pitched me this cartoon called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm like, what? He knew what it was because of me. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah, so he's like, this is going to be a hit. My kid likes this. That's great. Hey, that's that's the best research you can possibly get. Um, Other stuff I picked up that's sort of unusual for me that summer was Thundercats number one. Uh, I, I loved Thundercats. Absolutely loved it. The comic, not so much. The cartoon, though, I really, really dug. Do you remember when Marvel published Amazing High Adventure? Oh, that was a great comic. I yeah, have every uh, one of those. Now, I only had the first two. I, I don't even know how far they went. I think they did five, four or five. Really? That was yeah. a great Loved book. that. It was so different than anything else I was buying. Yes. Was uh, also that summer, I got Quest Probe, Quest Probe number three. <laughs> I remember that, I'm too. still waiting on number four, by the way. <laughs> Any day now. Any day now, I'm sure. I'm going to write to Marvel. Uh, I had actually stopped collecting Star Wars for a while, but that summer, Star Wars number 100 came out, so I picked that up. Uh, DC Challenge number one came out that summer. <laughs> it was great. And then there was tons of Secret Wars 2 crossovers. So I picked up a ton of them. I bought every single Secret Wars 2 crossover. I kid you not. And so I bought all kinds of comics I would never normally buy. I bought Dazzler. I bought The Thing. I bought Avengers. I bought ROM. I mean, my Marvel collection practically doubled that summer. And, uh, I mean, that's those are really kind of the big things I was buying. So you, you mentioned those shops in the Poconos that you wish you could go back and see. I bought comics in a couple different comic shops, but also prior to everything happening with my sister and the family, there was a little convenience store that I could walk to from our house. Uh, it was called the Sing Store because there was a family named the Singletaries who owned all these stores. It's called them the Sing Store. And 
that's where I would buy my comics, you know, up until we, we moved and I discovered comic shops. So I, I got, you know, that's where I bought my first Secret Wars comic. That's where I bought a ton of my Marvel team-ups. So, you know, that's where I bought that Flash 350. And anyway, now that little convenience store, which is still open, wow. is directly across the street from my daughter's after school. <laughs> so we go there all the time. Oh, that's great. And, and the sad part is, though, I mean, they have a little tiny magazine, right? But most of it's either, like, freebie apartment guides or fishing magazines. Mm. <laughs> That's about it. No comics. But it's just really neat to still be, you know, still go in that place and just kind of this nostalgia just waves washes over me. So There's a uh, there's a newsstand that uh, is a couple of miles from my parents' house currently that I shopped at as a kid. It's where I bought a bunch of the DC Digests because they carried Digests. And it's mm. where I bought JLA number 200. Uh, and they still, they are still around. And they still carry comics. And every time I'm in that part of town, which it's not that far away, but it's not next door either. Every time I'm happen to be by there, I stop in and I buy two, three comics. Is this just, the one in Is this the one in Voorhees? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Just, just I'm like, I just want to support this store to keep selling comics. So That's... I buy comics I don't even want, but I just put them in a drawer and I give them to various kids <laughs> or whatever, send them out. I just do something with them because I just want to feel like I keep supporting it. I totally know what you mean too about. Um... The, the joy of going to a newsstand and finding stuff you don't know what you're going to see. Yeah. And it's it's funny. You know, the things we do in life, like I I guess I'm like a junkie for experience. Uh, maybe that's why I jumped out of an airplane. I, don't I know. think so. But like I try to artificially recreate that experience. And I don't mean like I bonk myself on the head and then give myself amnesia and walk through my comic collection. But I, I on Saturday mornings, I take my son to um, – he plays the banjo. Um, I take him to banjo practice. And then I wander off, I leave, and go to Books A Million because they have this huge discount section where they have all these trades that are like half price. And I just try to troll through. You never know what's going to show up there. I have bought so many Marvel trades. I looked at my shelf the other day. I have more Marvel trades than anything else. And I'm like, why? What, why do I have all these Marvels? And I realized because I already own all the DC issues. <laughs> right. Uh, but like I picked up the first two hardcovers of West Coast Avengers for like, I don't know, five bucks each. Uh, Michael Bailey would be happy to know. I picked up the, the Captain, that whole the big thick Captain America trade paperback with all the the, the Captain story where Steve Rogers stops being Captain America. Oh yeah. I, I picked up all. I picked that for like seven dollars or something. I have all these Marvel trades. I keep buying because I never know what's going to be there. I'm like, oh, this looks like so much fun, you know. So it's exciting. I, I bought. A, I bought uh, just this past weekend. In I, I couldn't stop myself. I can't read at this pace that I'm buying, but anyway, I bought a Marvel Essentials Web of Spider-Man number one collection. So it's like the first 25 issues of Web of Spider-Man, which, as I understand, is probably not the best Spider-Man stuff, but I don't care. I remember that being a good book. I, I, I bought that book at the time. Well, somebody said – I was listening to somebody talk about how it went downhill. I don't know at what point, though. Maybe it wasn't until like the 40s or 50s. I don't know. But either way, it looks great. I flipped through it. I'm like, this looks great. <laughs> so I just – I love it. And so it's that, it's artificially trying to recreate that sensation of not knowing what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. Like I said, I, I, that is something that it, it's – I mean you can still experience it at a comic shop because there's still things that you just don't know exist and then you see them. But – when you're a kid, and again, it's like you, you know, I saw stuff in newsstands that I literally had never seen before. And I was like, what is this? What? Who made this? You know? And yeah, yet, right. you know, like it just seemed like it was just trans transmitted from like another universe or something. I mean, when I grew up reading Justice League and then, you know, I'm looking at a Warren magazine that has like nudity in it. I'm like, what? Like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just like, it just seems so alien to anything you're you're used to. So. 
Yeah, it's uh, it, the, the, the sense of this, I would never want to go back to just buying comics at newsstands, obviously. But at the same time, it's like you know, you do lose something in the process. For you, you lose mystery when you, you know, gain the convenience and certainty and things. It's, I mean, it's similar to you know, like video stores now. You know, I mean, your record stores, you can't browse anymore. Because yeah. there's no stores to browse. Because you know, I mean, you can browse on Amazon, but it's not. It's really not the same. Yeah, yeah you don't get that sense of discovery yeah. too often. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Unless yeah. it's something from your childhood, you've completely blacked out. Right, yeah. right, right, right. So. By the way, a couple other. I got. I got to say this. A couple other really cool things that came out that summer. Uh, Blue Devil Summer Fun Annual Number That's One. That's a great one. Which is so good. There's All like, the mystery characters. Well, there's like, like fun pages in the back. There's yep. like mazes and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Iron Man 200. Love that comic. Love that comic. Uh, remember V? I yes. You probably, yeah, yeah, okay. I, I was that, yeah. I was a huge V junkie. I mean, I re- I watched the shows. I read the novels, like the expanded universe novels, the comics. Wow. <laughs> I was all. I wished there was action figures. Like the, they would show action figures in the show. I'd be like, I want those. Uh, v was still on the shelves. And then uh, I got to mention this last one cracked me up when I saw it. Blue Devil number 18 was on the shelf in August 1985. That's like my peak month, August 95. Blue Devil number 18, it's Crisis Infinite Earth's crossover, and it's Blue Devil teaming up with the Omega Men. Ah, everyone's <laughs> favorite, the Omega Men. Exactly. It's like your Legion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like that issue of Brave and the Bull with Batman and the Legion. <laughs> I liked it. I did. I still have it, so. Uh, is that it? Do we want to, is we wrap it up? All right. That was our, that was our, our little trip back to uh, the summers of days gone by. Um, well, that's, the, that's the first half of the trip. That's the first I'm half. Back. Yes. First half. Yeah. Um, and for the break, I mentioned earlier that like so much of the, you know, my memories are related to the music from the time as there are to the comics. So I'm going to indulge myself a little further here. And uh, for the break, I'm going to play <laughs> one of those classic seventies hits. Uh, that I listen to on the radio. So when you hear this song, you can imagine little Rob Kelly, I was known as Bob back then, uh, reading comics out on the porch. What? Yes. Yeah, I, I switched over to Rob when I was uh, like 16 or 17. Were you like Bobby? My To my parents, yeah. <gasps> it's very exciting, isn't it? I am so calling you that. No, you're not. So um, <laughs> anyway, we're going to listen to this classic a hunk of 70s cheese, and uh, then on the other side, we will be discussing the crossovers of uh, summers. So uh, be back in about three minutes. Such 
you know, I was fighting the urge not to do that whole, is that Freedom Rock thing? And it, <laughs> it really, really. I know. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right, Bobby. So what's up next? I know it. it <laughs> we are, again, going down memory lane, and we're talking about Summers, and we said, you know what? Okay. Uh, summers are well-known for their crossovers. Let's go through. Uh, a, a chunk of crossovers from the 80s and 90s and just have some fun with this. The goal of this, folks, is w- this is good old-fashioned comic shop smack-talking is what we're about to do here. You know, this these are not well-reasoned, well-thought-out arguments. If you As have opposed issue, to our other episodes. Right. <laughs> but if you have an issue and you don't agree with the way that, you know, we thought JLA ape went down. <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is just seriously off the top of my head. And if I say something really terrible and you're a creator who worked on that book and you can listen to this, I'm terribly sorry. Just my first name is Irredeemable. It's right there in the name, putting it out there. So, uh, Also, wanted to say that sort of the inspiration for this was an episode of Views from the Long Box me and Michael Bailey recorded seven years ago. Oh my gosh, seven years ago, uh, Michael Bailey and I recorded an episode of Views from the Longbox. You can find it. It's still out there in his feed. It's Views from the Longbox number 17. It's back when you were known as Shaggy. Right. Yeah, I was Shaggy. That's right. And we went through um, a whole bunch of crossovers. And we even tried to stump each other. We're like throwing out like crossovers between like Nomad and Silver Sable. I mean, really obscure stuff. So it's, a, it's funny. Um, Go out there and give it a check if you feel like hearing more of this type of stuff. Rob and I are going to focus mainly on DC crossovers. And, again, it's going to be 80s and 90s. So, Rob, with that, why don't you take us away? Uh, yeah, well, the first one, I mean, clearly, I mean, every year the JLA, JSA did their crossovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was limited to just those, just basically just Justice League. Yeah. Um, so, it did, you know, that was not a company-wide summer event uh, the way they became to be known. And, of course, the mother of all summer events, the mother of all crossovers, is Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, everybody knows it. it the, the big anniversary is coming up uh, for it. So, I mean, when that when that first came out, I was so excited. I mean, because I was a DC complete nerd, you know, as opposed to now. And um, <laughs> Thank you for and, meeting me to that. Yeah. And, you know, but I mean, the idea that it would draw in all these characters, that was just too... You know, it was just like a dream come true. You know what I mean? It was just fantastic. And Crisis is one of those things. Alfred Hitchcock, once he had a term. I forget what the term is. I should have looked it up. It just occurred to me right now. But he had a term um, for the kind of movie plot that makes sense when you watch it. And then you go home at night and go, hey, wait a minute. But by then you've already seen the movie. Um, It was called, like, was it like... Midnight snack or like three a.m. I don't, I, I don't or, know. I don't. I, don't I know remember. what you're talking yeah. about. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and that's what cri- it, that's what Crisis is. <laughs> because as I read Crisis, I enjoyed the living crap out of it. I really did. I mean, War of Wolfman and George Perez at the top of their game, especially Perez, um, delivering a story worthy, you know, of the of the the hype. I mean, it just used everything. You know, I mean, P- Perez worked in. So many characters. I mean, Sugar and Spike make an appearance in Crisis on Infinite Earths. <laughs> um, they do. And, um, you know, like, I loved it. Even though Aquaman does nothing. He just stands around. It's like one page where he actually does something. But other than that. But, I mean, I loved it. But it was one of the things where, in retrospect, after Crisis was over, I was like, hey, wait a minute. You know, like, wait. That doesn't. Why would he. Wait. You know, that kind of thing. 
Be, and, be careful there, sir. It's still holier than that to me. I know. No, no. I mean, and I still do love it, but it's just it's just one of those things where you're like, I think this got away from them at a certain point. I just think it was just too huge a story. But it was an enormous amount of fun. I st- in retrospect, I look at it as unnecessary. I don't think DC's universes needed to be merged. I don't – I understand the motivation of why having two Supermans makes something less special. Having two Batmans makes it less special. I totally get that. Having two Aquamans, there were, makes it less special. Oh I, I totally get that. <laughs> Delusional. Yeah. Um, but I still look at it like I kind of miss Earth 1, Earth 2. You know what I mean? And so I'm kind of like – Crisis was so much fun at the time, but now I'm like, was it really? Was this trip really necessary? But I can still go back and reread it today, and I still enjoy it because it is. It's like an Irwin Allen movie. It's a disaster movie. Well, Irwin Allen's a '70s reference. It's like a Michael Bay movie. You know, it's huge. It's just meant to be huge and loud, and things banging into other things and people dying and planets doing it. Planets. You know, it's meant, and you know, it. It is a fun trip for, for people who love the DC Universe because, you know, it, it got everybody in there. It literally, practically got everybody in there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a joy. I still love I mean, I'm sitting here as I talk to you. Over my desk that I work at all day long, I have a six-foot-long crisis poster. Um, penciled the Al- by the Alex Ross pe- thing, right? Yep. Penciled by Perez, uh, painted by Alex Ross. Absolutely gorgeous. Think about it all the time. Now, I, I don't have as many issues with the – you know, the, the go home and go, wait a minute, you know, moment to me, it, it works. I, I don't want to get in the argument of whether it was necessary or not. I'm glad they did it because it gave us a fresh, clean universe to start with. I'm one of those guys who benefited from doing that because I came to the DC universe fresh and early and new and wanted to learn it all. Just like those kids are coming to the new 52 nowadays that will want to learn it all because they're there at the ground floor. There's a couple of them. Um, I was like so many Batman titles. (laughs) So I I still reread it. I I used to reread it every year. Once a year, I would reread it. I'm probably like every three or four years now. Um, I still get so much. And I always find something new. Always find something new when I read it. I'm like, oh, look at that. I didn't realize it starts with uh, Anthro. How perfect is that? Mm -hmm. You know, you start at the dawn of time and then it ends with – does it end with Tommy tomorrow or they were planned on that? I don't remember either way. Um, just love it. It's one of my favorites. Always will be. And it, you know, I, I, I don't mean to be as, I'm not trying to be as negative when I think about it. like, it does feature a bunch of tremendous moments. And to me, it features probably Supergirl's finest moment. Ironically, just as she's destroyed, but like somebody once pointed out if Supergirl in her regular ongoing adventures had been as compelling as she was presented in the issue she died, she would have been a big hit. And they mm. never they never would have killed her off in the first place because she would have been a big star. She That scene of her beating the crap out of the anti-monitor is tremendous. It is a tremendous scene. The way it's paced, um, the fact that when Superman is raging into the heavens, at the, the you know, when he's holding her body, there's no dialogue. It's just Perez, Perez's drawing of him screaming out into the heavens. Like, it's beautiful. You know what I mean? So that sequence, there's a ton of sequences in Buried in Christ. Not Buried, but there's, I don't think it holds, I don't don't think it holds together is what I'm saying. But there are a ton of great individual moments in Crisis that still are really, really compelling. 
was a lot of, I mean, like stuff with Psycho Pirate going crazy, yeah. losing his mind and torturing the Flash, sort of, you know? Yeah, and just, there's a lot of great stuff. Yeah, there's really a lot, a lot of great stuff. And it said, I love the cameos. I loved spotting yeah. the cameos. I mean, the Inferior Five are in there. I mean, Perez just went crazy, you know? Firestorm got a lot to do in that one. He did. He did get a lot to do. Fire, Firehawk got a new costume. That's right. Uh, you know, we could wax Crisis's car all day long. Yeah. We should probably. We should now, on. by the way, if you're a big Crisis fan, check out Michael Bailey and Scott Gardner. They have the uh, Tales of the JSA, which returned recently. And that one of the things they're making their effort on that podcast is to do uh, a, a comprehensive Crisis coverage, which, quite frankly, I'm a little pissed and jealous that they beat us to that because I think that's where we would have gone next. Son of a oh, well. What? Son of a bitch. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing their coverage of it. So, uh, so yeah, next was legends, which uh, I know somehow I've gained a reputation that I hate legends. I don't, uh, I, <laughs> you are a hater. I know. No, said it. I, no, I did not say, I did not say that. I, I really liked it at the time. I, I think I was annoyed that it was so limited. Like it was like so few characters, but drawn by John Byrne. I like, I like the angle that glorious Godfrey, glorious Godfrey, turns you know, like the media and the public against the superheroes like okay that's a that's a great hook um you know it uh it tied in with the end of the justice league which yep. um ended up being a good thing because that justice league needed to be put out of its misery and legends <laughs> legends did it legends took it out behind the barn so uh oh, which was God. which was good um so that was a lot of fun i legends was the first one jumping back a bit I bought most of the crisis tie-ins mm-hmm. because I was like, I want to follow the whole story. Mm-hmm. But after, when I got to legends, I bought a lot less of them. Cause I just was like, I don't know if I need to read all these, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I, I bought a couple, but I really was like, you know what, if I can't follow what's going on in the regular legend series, I'm just going to have to live without it. Cause I just don't really want to buy, you know, all these other titles to, to yep. follow legends, but I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. I said, burn, it's John Byrne. You know, John Byrne is, like again, like George Perez, one of the great guys ever to do superhero comics. So he was, like, a, a good choice. Well, Carl um, Kiesel. And Carl Kiesel, yeah, good combination. There. He's a great anchor for Byrne. Um, so that was, a, you know, that was a really fun series. I, I did enjoy it at the time. I haven't gone back and I have not read it in years. And I also like the fact that it's a lot shorter. I mean, it's, like, what, six issues? It's exactly six issues. Yeah, Crisis yes. was 12. This is literally half that. So um, that's a good too. It's a you know, it's a good thing, but that was the beginning of like, oh, every summer now we're gonna start doing an event. You know, cry. when I remember when Legends came around, I was like, wow, they're doing another, you know, big crossover. Wow, how novel. Yeah, little did I know. <laughs> but uh, but no, I enjoyed I enjoyed Crisis quite a bit at the time. Well, it started life as Crisis on Captive Earth, right? And and, and sort of morphed as it went through, and ultimately became Legends. Not that it's that recognizable from the original plot. And John, did you mention Ostringer? I don't think out? I did. No, John Ostringer. Yeah, it was one of his first things for DC. I mean, he came over to DC. He dabbled a little bit here and there. He did a couple issues of Firestorm. He did Legends. I mean, it was just man, it's such a great story. I'm I haven't reread it myself in a while either. But as I recall, the six issues completely stand on their own. I don't think you have to read the crossovers at all. No, I, I did enjoy that. It, it was a somewhat of a complete story. I, I took the opposite approach of you since I had already, you know, the year before lost my mind and bought every Secret Wars 2 crossover. I went ahead and did the same thing with Legends. I bought every single Legends crossover. And some of them, if I recall, were just tangentially involved with Legends, like barely there. So I would say this is almost like 
one of the series. This and Secret Wars 2 are the two series that oh. started the trend. Oh. Uh, well, started the trend of oh. so too many crossover, unnecessary crossover issues, you know? I think those two were probably the ones that started it. But regardless, I love Legends. I love that period of time in the DC Universe anyway. Everything to me was shiny and sparkly and new. I was learning about it all for the first time. So I didn't mind buying Blue Beetle and Superman and all those different things. And, uh, Dark, you know, Darkseid was there. So that tied in very nicely with the Super Friends stuff going on. You know, because you get the same villain. I love Legends. In fact, it's on my to-reread list very, very soon. I, I have it digitally ready to go. Because uh, I I don't want to dig out the issues it's too like underneath fifteen boxes. But anyway. <laughs> I, I, I I seriously when I think of like some of my favorite crossovers, this one comes up, and I'm really interested to see whether it holds up as well as it as, as I seem to recall it does. And it features Doctor Fate predominantly. Oh, that's right. You, know, you like that? And I just can't get over. I'm sorry, Burns art just it makes my heart soar. I love John Burns art, and for the most part, you know we see John Byrne on Marvel books. Yeah. So to see him drawing the, you know, obviously he drew Superman for like a hundred issues, but uh, or was involved with Superman for a hundred issues, I should say. But just seeing him do the whole DC universe, or at least a good chunk of it, was just like seeing him draw Firestorm and the Suicide. The Suicide Squad came out of that thing, you know. Well, what else? there was Justice League International, Suicide Squad, both came out of Legends. Yep. Two awesome books, so good. And the Lovely. intro, I think they was that the intro of Wonder Woman, the new Wonder Woman. The, the, it was actually yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, that's right. They, uh, in fact, she first showed up like fighting one of the, uh, I think they're the metal demon. Yeah, dogs, it's a full page shot of of, of yeah. her. Yeah, it looks great. It burned did a great. He did a great run on Wonder Woman later on too. So uh, I enjoyed his run. A lot of people didn't like some of the stuff he did with it, but I enjoyed it. It was yeah. whether it was good storytelling or not, it was compelling every month. Yeah, yeah, so. it was fun stuff. Yeah. Um, Nick, the following year, okay, this is where... <laughs> yeah. Now, to be fair, folks, just we're not going to cover every single cross. We seem to be, at this point, covering every crossover, but we're going to start skipping some soon. Well, yeah, well, it's going to reflect this, because the DC, <laughs> the DC crossovers are, in terms of my interest, a perfect downworld slide. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they are very similar. In fact, they're virtually the same as how I am with um, Star Trek series. The first, first Star Trek show, seen every episode... Million times loved it. Next gen, seen every episode, loved a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, Deep Space Nine, saw some of it. Uh, Voyager, you are going to start a war. Voyager, with our <laughs> Voyager saw less. Enterprise saw two. <laughs> you know, it was it, so. It's like if you look at my interest of where Star Trek goes, it is a perfect downward slope. And I that's, will tell you, you, you made a mistake with Enterprise. No, I didn't. It's, it was no. very good. No, I didn't. No, stop it. Yes. St- stop You're wrong. No, I'm You're not wrong. wrong. I'm not wrong. So anyway. Everyone's, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Yours is yeah. <laughs> I'm not wrong. Uh, so anyway, it's the same thing with these crossovers because I loved Crisis, bought every issue, bought every crossover. Legends, a little less so. Now we're getting to Millennium. Which I read, I think I read every issue of Millennium, but I didn't buy a single crossover. Unless I was already buying the book. I bought them all. Oh, my God. And I talk about buyer's remorse. Now, I like the plot of Millennium. Like, the Manhunters and stuff. Like, like that's a neat idea that there were all these characters that were secretly Manhunters. Like, that's a cool premise. But I just feel like it just didn't really come off. And I have to say, I think Millennium was my last gasp for really paying that much attention. To the crossovers, except for one, which we'll get to shortly. 
But yeah. it's, 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 you know, I was like, okay, I think I'm, all right, fool me three times. That's enough. <laughs> I think fool me once or whatever. But, uh, yeah, Millennium didn't, it doesn't, it did not hold up too much for me, even at the right. time. Let's break this thing down. I mean, if I remember right, the art was by Joe Staten, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. So on the Who's Who podcast, we love, talked, we love, we love Joe State. We've talked about that. Before. Uh, no, I'm very. I love uh, Joe State. I'm very divisive. Is that the word? No, nah, I don't divided. know. Divided. I'm very, thank you. I'm very divided on my Joe State. I love Joe State. Sometimes I love it. Sometimes I despise it. And this was the era of me despising his artwork. I couldn't stand the artwork with Guy Gardner with that ridiculous head and not just his hair; his whole head looked ridiculous. Anyway. Um, now, there were some moments I enjoyed. There's, like, these great covers of, like, that all fit together of everybody in the swamp, you know, going to Belle Reve to, to stop whatever was going on there. You know, Firestorm and Captain Adam and a bunch of other people. So there's some moments that are really cool together. But in general, like, oh, God, there was that weird Green Lantern they found and they introduced Gnort as well, or Nort, whatever you want to call Gnort, him. yeah. I just oh, there's so many bad things, and and the new Guardians came out now. When you say the plot, like I would say at a ten thousand foot level, I'm okay with the plot. You know, it's like the Guardians want to retire and go off and have sex, and they need the next generation to come take their jobs. And oh no, there's some people that have been masking as you know friends that are actually bad guys. Okay, it my interest stops there. Once you start getting into any further details. Where you find out Lana Lang is a manhunter? Yeah, that- <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that is you have not only jumped the shark, you have slaughtered it in your you know in your path. Oh, not good stuff. Yeah, and and I I you know I love Joe Stein's artwork. I don't think he's a good artist to pick for a company wide crossover. Yes. I think his style is not like I mean think about who they got previously: Burn Perez, right? Guys, massively popular guys whose styles are perfectly suited to dynamic superhero comics. And I don't think Joe Staten is the right guy for that, for that job. So the smartest thing that they do with millennium is they got it done in like what? Two months. Cause it wasn't it weekly was weekly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Smartest thing they could have done. Yeah, I think they probably knew, you know, <laughs> like we got to get people in quickly and get them out before they know yeah. what, what they're getting. Cause right. They're it, it, was eight, it was eight issues long. If, if, if it had gone eight months, Oh my God. Yeah. Oof, what a tanked bat. Yeah. It's the whole reason right. why they cut a half hour out of Superman 4, so they could get all the showings in before people, the bad word got out. So, uh, <laughs> that's true. It's a true story. So, uh, uh, next, next, uh, next up, here we go. Yep. The invasion with a big exclamation point. It's funny. When this was first advertised, I thought it was a joke. Like, the ad looks like an old 50s sci-fi movie. It shows the Dominators, like, really large in the sky, like, reaching down to grab these humans that are running away screaming. It looks like a 1950s monster space, you know, um, movie poster. So I thought it was a joke. I didn't really know they were really advertising a miniseries. And then when it started coming out, and it was supposed to be a big deal, I'm like, what? Are you, what? You're not serious, right? And then I bought it, and... I have been very back and forth on Invasion. Like, every year or so, I could easily flip-flop. Or any even in the middle of this conversation, I might flip-flop on Invasion. <laughs> some minutes I love it, some minutes I hate it. Um, I think it's cool that they reached back and took some Legion of Superheroes 30th century stuff and put it in the 20th century. Because basically what it is, is all these Legion of Superheroes aliens decide to take out the Earth. Because they know the Earth is 
potentially too dangerous because these superheroes are a rogue element that they can't control. So they're like, let's take out the Earth now. Which is smart because in a thousand years, um, when you know the Legion's around, Earth does become a real pain in the ass to them. So the Dominators attack. Uh, they try and invade the Earth. You know, they fought, they're fought off here and there. They set off a big gene bomb, which activates a whole bunch of new superheroes, which I thought was a very clever thing to do. And, uh, you know, Earth basically refuses to surrender, shoots the aliens the bird, and they fight. And, uh, you know, they did it in three issues. They were like, I don't know if they're 80 pages or not, but they were giant issues. You know, probably 64 pages. And there's some cool stuff there, like where Captain Adam, they mobilize the superheroes of the planet and militarize them. And Captain Adam's, like, in charge of them. That's a cool concept. You know? You get some Todd McFarlane art in there. You get a, if I remember right, there's in there, in there a whole bunch of Bart Sears, your former instructor? I believe oh. so, yeah. Yeah? Uh, or actually not your instructor, but Todd Cupert, right? Yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, just really cool stuff in that ch- in the thing. Then the other side of me is like, this thing was stupid. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, what, the gene bomb and, you know, this and that. So I, I can... I can argue out both sides of my mouth. Tonight, I'm in love with it. <laughs> wow. So, did, did you do you remember it? No. I, okay. I, I think I, I think I bought the first issue. I remember it being square bound. I remember yeah. that. And I, I just was like, I, I no. <laughs> I was just like, no, gotcha. no, no. Well, I, I actually years later, um, Wizard Magazine reprinted some of the pages from it or artwork or something. I got something. It was like a Todd McFarlane book or something. I don't know what the hell it was. Anyway, I had this full page picture of, you know, not the Justice League, but essentially a Justice League of sorts, a collection of heroes. You know, but you had your mainstays in there of Superman and Firestorm and a few others, but then some obscure ones and Blue Beetle was there and it was like, it was a weird collection of heroes. Anyway, I took it actually to like the copy shop and had them photocopy it in a, as like a <laughs> I don't know, 11 by 17 poster. Wow. Or, or my by, you know, whatever the twice. Anyway, it was, it was sort of a large size poster, and I, would, I had it hanging up in a room I called my comicatorium. That's where <laughs> I had all my comics. Uh, I loved this thing, man. I love some of the artwork in that thing. It's very exciting for me. I'm really passionate about this. You were going to put up a sign that said, No Girls Allowed, and then you realized, Not really necessary. Hey, now, I'll have you know, that was in my year. Uh, by, by the time that poster was hanging, I was in college. And it was a pretty swinging pad, brother. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, back off. Right. Yeah, basically, what we did is we had a dining room we weren't ever going to use. So it was like a townhouse. So we turned it into the comicatorium. It's where we studied, crammed for classes, too, and had all our weird shit in there. That sounds so. like a sitcom. It was. It was Shag and Serve living together. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Names like that. All right. Uh, next one uh, might be for fun to talk about. Now, we're going to start skipping some here. Uh, but jump forward to 1991. And the future's on everyone's mind. And suddenly, it's Armageddon 2001. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and this was a, it was kind of, I, I want to say this was the first one they did through the annuals. Like, it became a really a mainstay of DC to do a crossover through all the annuals in the year. This was the first one where they had, it was bookended. There was um, Armageddon 2001, the first issue. And then they had all the annuals, and then Armageddon 2001, number two. And if you don't know this one, I'll, I'll keep it brief. The gist of it was we find out 10 years in the future, there's an evil ruler, dictator over the earth, and his name's Monarch, and he's controlling everything. And, he, and all we know is he used to be a superhero. Who was he? Nobody knows. And so this being named Wave Rider comes back in time, and, and he comes back 10 years from 2001 to 1991, and he's going to find out 
which superhero it was and stop him before he can become monarch to try and change the future. And it's a very clever it was a very clever premise because what they did, the bookends told that story, whereas the rest of all the annuals were essentially just what if tales. What, Mon- what, what Wave Rider would do is he would walk up to a hero and sort of touch them, and he would see a possible future for that character. So the whole annual would be a basically what if, what happens to this character, you know, five, ten years from now. And it made for some fun stories. I don't remember a lot of them off the top of my head. I remember enjoying them. Some were better than others. Um, you know, the the main crux story I enjoyed. Um, I feel like some really terrible stuff came out of this afterwards. We'll talk about it in a second. But I enjoyed it. Now, the, the, the part of the reason Armageddon 2001 is known so well is, at least in the Apocrypha story, which I think has been validated, was somebody shot off their mouth at dinner with some executives and said who Monarch was before the issue came out. And it was revealed that, yes, Captain Adam was going to be Monarch. Everyone in fandom had sort of figured it out anyway, because Captain Adam's series was being canceled, and he had a whole bunch of power. And I want to say Captain Adam's series even ended with some question of whether he might turn evil or not, because his evil version like was messing with him, like an evil doppelganger. But So we all kind of figured it out. So what DC scrambled around and actually changed the ending of the story, and instead of Monarch becoming... Uh, I'm sorry, instead of Captain Adam becoming Monarch, this crazy powerful guy, they made it Hawk. Yeah, Hawk, the guy whose power is eh, just strength. You know. And so he supposedly becomes this crazy, energy-wielding, all-powerful, able-to-conquer-the-earth guy, Monarch. Now, I referenced this when we had Dan Jurgens on the show a couple weeks ago, and I asked him who Monarch should have been. Right. And he said Captain Adam. And he's like, oh, Captain Adam. So, I mean, he, <laughs> it was very nice of him to say that. But because, uh, you know, Dan was involved with that crossover quite a bit. He created Wave Rider. And uh, so it's just it, – it, it's remembered, unfortunately, more so for Hawk and Captain Adam and, and Monarch rather than the, the Elseworlds, if you will, sort of what-if stories that came out of it. So I like that one, though. This was, so. this was the first crossover I literally bought nothing of. I was like, I'm done. I was like, I'm just done now. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, a lot of them I was getting the series anyway, so I don't know that I bought every. No, I was. Um, I don't know that I bought every issue uh, of the annuals. I think I bought most of them because I was getting most of the DC comics at the time. But uh, I was definitely okay with it. You know, didn't mind it. Mm. Um, going to jump forward a bit to talk about Zero Hour. Zero Hour is one that another Dan Jurgens one. Oddly enough, now that I think about it is one that if I wanted, I could sit here and tear it apart. I can pick holes in Zero Hour very easily. But oddly enough, I don't want to because I loved it. There are there's, there's issues. Again, this is me talking comic shop smack, and I'm sorry, but there's you could drive a truck through some of the issues of that, but uh, through the plot holes. But I love this series so much. It involves, oddly enough, Monarch again to some extent. Monarch becomes this character named Extant. Which is which is a ludicrous name. I'm sorry, and it also involves Parallax, which uh, Hal Jordan's Parallax is not my favorite thing. I, I'm thrilled Kyle Rayner came to be. I love Kyle Rayner; he's my favorite Green Lantern. But uh, Hal is Parallax is just bad news. So there's some of that bad stuff in there. But I was so immersed in the DC universe at this time. I was reading like every DC title practically. I was even reading Green Arrow. I think at that point, and. I just, it was so exciting to see all this build up. You know, it was ten years since Crisis. This was essentially Crisis Two, Electric Boogaloo. You know, this was gonna 
you know, fix all the little niggly things that have hung around after Crisis. Like, remember, people used to always talk about how Hawkman never got fixed right because Crisis happened, and then they just kept screwing with Hawkman for years. You know, first they would do the Shadow War, and then they would do uh, – well, that may have been before Crisis. That was before Crisis. But then they, then uh, they did Hawkworld, which just completely upended him. Well, and even before that, though, they were busy trying to retcon around – you know, what Hawkman was doing, and then they said, well, Hawkman from the Justice Society was the same Hawkman as from the Justice League. You know, the same guy. Oh, poor and Hawkman. I actually like that theory, but anyway. And then they had to say, well, what about, if that's the case, what about after Ragnarok? Who was that? So there was all these Hawkman theories. So they totally took that and ran with it in Zero Hour. There's like a point in an alley where there's like six different versions of Hawkman all walking forward saying the same thing. Like all the different realities are merging and collapsing. And they're basically saying the crisis never stopped happening. And it's kind of a cool idea, you know, to explain why things like that were so inconsistent and try and wrap it up. And at the end, they basically they rebooted the universe again. Um, again, you, you can kind of sit there and go, yes, the Green Arrow shot an arrow at – Hal, I think, and damage blew up the universe, but I don't care. I loved it. It was so much fun. It was just like, just go with it, man. Loved it. Uh, Michael Bailey and, and I actually, I keep bringing him up this episode. He gets a nickel every time I mention his name. Um, we we actually did a whole episode just talking about our passion for Zero Hour. Went through the crossovers and stuff. Because there was some fun, crazy stuff in the, like, there was an issue where Superman ran into, like, every version of Batman ever. You know, he ran into the Dark Knight Returns Batman. He ran I remember into that. I remember that cover. Yeah. I remember that cover. They made a poster out of it, you know? <laughs> In fact, they had a reverse. There was the one where Superman runs into every version of Batman, and that was the actual comic. And then for the poster, on the flip side, they had Batman surrounded by every version of Superman, like a John Byrne version. Right, animated and, version. Yeah, it was so, so much fun. So anyway, I love Zero Hour. It holds a special place in my heart. There's a goofy video online you can watch that was like a sales promotional video. They sent the comic shots. We would run on a little TV in the shop, which was just goofy as hell of Hal Jordan, like, kind of stuff. <laughs> and then interviews with, like, Mike Carlin and people like that. It, it's one of those crossovers. It, it was very, very engineered because this is after the death of Superman. So DC... You know, when, when Superman, after the death of Superman, DC really learned how to get the marketing engine going. You know, by this point, they had sort of, I don't know if they perfected it, but they really understood how to play the media and play the hype and really get that engine going. And so I, I bought into every bit of it, man. I loved it. Um, and again, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get taken to task by a lot of the listeners for it, but I don't care. It's, it's one of those where you just, there's certain things you're blind to and you love it. And that's me, the Zero Hour. Uh, another one worth mentioning. Let's see. Underworld Unleashed. Uh, interesting story. Uh, Underworld Unleashed, basically, they got this idea, at least, at least this was my perception of it, was that DC's villains weren't as cool as Marvel villains. That was kind of the philosophy back then. It's like, you know, Captain Cold, really? Eh. You know, whatever. Uh, whereas I don't think we realized how cool our DC villains were, but... And so they decided to amp up the power level of all the DC villains. They, they basically introduced Satan. <laughs> His name was Neuron. He was a demon from hell. And he offered all the villains an upgrade for an exchange for their souls, which was kind of a clever idea. I want to say, was this Mark Wade? I think, wrote this? Somebody's going to yell at me for that. Don't make that sound again, please. What? Don't make that sound again. Really? Yeah. Did it bother you? I, 
go ahead. I know that by me saying it, it's going to make you do it again. So, yeah. I don't know what I, I don't know what I did. Okay, I'm also vamping to try and see. Okay, yes, it was Mark Wade. Okay, Mark Wade wrote it. Uh, Howard Porter drew it. Dan Green was the inker. Okay, so you know, there, there's some things that aren't awesome about it. Like, I want to say they killed the Flash Rogues in the first five minutes of it, or something like that. Um, like, literally killed them all and then brought them back later. But it was interesting to see what they did with some of the characters. Like, Killer Frost is a good example. Her power level got seriously amped up. She became a lot more powerful. You know, Abracadabra became more powerful. A lot of the characters gained a lot more power and became a lot more dangerous. Now, this was the 90s. So you've got Howard Porter drawing like Howard Porter did. I mean, it's, there's, a, there's a style to it. This is also the era of extreme justice. Uh, which has some of, the, quite frankly, the worst 90s art I've ever seen in my life, even though I still read the book every month. You don't need to limit it to the 90s. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's an interesting story. I think it's probably worth rereading, uh, but it's one of those that I, I kind of wanted to bring up simply because it, this was the point where they're like, okay, what are we going to do this year? Right. I think, you know, is where they really were with this. And this is what they came up with. And is it a hit or miss? You know, I'm, I'm lukewarm on this one, but I think it was an interesting exercise. And I thought some of those pieces and some of the elements were a neat idea. It completely screwed up Blue Devil for a long time. And that really pissed me off because the inch, it started interestingly in that he sold his soul to be popular. He wanted to have a successful movie career. And so he sold his soul for that. Well, what ended up happening was like his best friend died. Uh, all these things, terrible things were happening to people he cared about. And then he became a famous movie star. And, but it led to a really revamping of his character and he joined the Justice League and it was not a, not a good time for Blue Devil. And I just, ugh, ugh. It's not just, happy with that. The problem with that premise is that it makes you, the guy you care about a dummy. Because he sold a soul to the devil. Right there, like, what are you, an idiot? Like, yeah. he's the devil. You Haven't you read The Monkey's Paw? I mean, you got to know it's going to come back and bite you in the ass. Come on. Yeah. Just, that, that, just, that would really bother me if that was a character that I really love. Because I'm like, oh, so he's an idiot now? Is that what you're telling me? So, yeah. That and it was Blue Devil. So it really right. it really bothered me. Right, so. right. But now there are worse crossovers. I mean, again, we could talk about JLA, JL Ape, you know, some, but... <laughs> So, all right. So, let's jump ahead to uh, DC versus Marvel. All right. Now, yeah, this is yeah, this is the one moment where the downward slide of my interest bumps up a little because uh, this was uh, like what ninety one, ninety six. No, no, it was not. 96. I am looking at the spreadsheet I prepared for this episode. It was ninety six. Really? I gave, I gave you a three page sheet of notes. I don't read that. It was. I don't think oh. it was ninety six. All right. Well, I guess it was. I, I, okay, because I, I, I remember when I was living up in North Jersey with two of my friends from the Cooper School going to the comic store and buying this, and I didn't think I was there in 96, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, yeah, this was the one crossover that, that drew me back a little simply because it was DC and Marvel together in a huge way. Not a one character and one character, but in a let's throw the universes at each other. You know, I mean, and I couldn't resist that. Aquaman versus Submariner, I couldn't resist it. I just couldn't. Now, I didn't like most of it because at that point, all the characters were in their 90s looks. Oh, yeah, they were. (laughs) Which, you know, I mean, it's just horrendous. Aquaman has got his pirate look and Thor 
is in his awful outfit and Superman has got his mullet and the whole – so it's like – it's such an unfortunate time. And it's also – it was a weird period where like all the heroes were drawn to look like friggin' goons. Like Clark like, – there's that scene – there's that one scene in DC versus Marvel that I absolutely hate where Peter Parker flirts with Lois – Oh, does he really? Yeah, and then Lois is like, Lois is like, I'm very married, or I'm very spoken for, and not Peter doesn't realize that behind him is Clark Kent, and he's like, that's she's like, that's my boyfriend, or that's my husband, and it's like, all right, and the way they drew Clark Kent, they drew him like he was six eight, and he was like a giant muscle guy, and he intimidates Peter Parker, and I'm like, Clark Kent doesn't do that. Clark Kent's not a but like you know what I mean like that's like the antithesis of what Clark Kent Clark Kent would never physically intimidate anyone. That's just yeah. not who he is, and that just I remember being I was like, what the hell is that? Like it just felt like all of my heroes had been replaced by like frat guys, you know. <laughs> and it real so like the novelty of seeing all these characters together, which was great, you know, Robin and Jubilee, and uh, you know, I mean, they really did all the great parent flashing, Quicksilver, Hawkeye, and. Arrow, of course, again, Aquaman and Submariner. Uh, that I, that part I enjoyed, but the characterizations to me were so far afield from what I was interested in that I I think I I don't know if even I bought every issue. I bought a, a couple, and then I was like, all right, uh, you know, the novelty. I, I've enjoyed it. I'm done. You know what I mean? But uh, th- that was the one that drew me back simply because it was you know when else are you going to get to see that? Yeah. I I. Loved the hype behind this. I did not enjoy the books themselves. I thought the art was just not good. Um, I okay. I just didn't enjoy the art at all. Period. I, I really. I felt like, like you said it was very nineties. I felt like it was very rushed. I felt like I didn't know where the artists who were doing it were forced to draw this book and another monthly book or something just to squeeze it all in, or maybe there was just too much committee involved or something. Because Marvel's this this is a period of time where Marvel's art was absolutely atrocious, and uh, the hype though, because I worked in the comic shop when this stuff was going on, and we had these little cards and you could vote. You, I, I want to say. I think you – did you go online to vote? That doesn't make any sense. 96? Maybe you did. Maybe you did go online to vote. But you, some way you could vote because remember that there was, there was the battles that they were going to determine themselves and then there were the other battles that you could actually vote in. Lobo I remember that, versus, yeah, yeah. Lobo versus Wolverine was one of them. I remember that yeah. much. Uh, I want to say Aquaman versus Namor was one of the ones you could vote on too, I think. Um, and so there was there – was, you know, there was that element. There was a lot of people excited about it. I remember the guy who worked at the store next door to me kept saying he could – yeah, because it was online. Because he said he could work his computer – if he spent enough time, he could rig it to just repeatedly vote for who he wanted. <laughs> I mean he didn't do it, but he was you know, he was kind of a nerdy guy and he's like, oh, I could rig my computer, right? You know, that sort of thing. Um, Love your characterization there. Well, you know, hey, I still know the guy, so I can say this. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't listen to the show. That's okay. So, but being that I was reading all the DC comics at the time, because this isn't that far off of Zero Hour. This is like a year later. I still was excited about it. It's just the comic itself was not that enjoyable. Like, I couldn't stand the character of Access for some reason. It just yeah, really yeah. the heck out of me. Now, the uh, do you remember Aquaman versus Namor? Of course. And I was about to say, you know, as an obviously, as an Aquaman fan who, you know, whose love of the character cannot be questioned, I don't believe, he... 
had no business defeating Namor. Whoa! No, he didn't. He, he got that because Peter David wrote it. And yeah. Peter David was writing Aquaman, and it was clear favoritism. Namor, in the, in, in the annals of Marvel, Marvel's strength, Namor is like a shade under Thor, Hulk, and Thing. He is. Yeah. He has fought. I mean, I have the Rampage and Hulk comic to prove it. Right here, I just talked about it. He has fought the Hulk to nearly a standstill. So he is in the top one percentile of strength guys. Okay, po- pre Jeff Parker, Aquaman is not. Yeah, that. I was just gonna say. Yeah. Can he pick up a car any chance? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So Aquaman is powerful, strong, got all those things, and he has command over the fish and stuff that Namor does not. But I don't care. Namor can defeat – Namor can almost defeat the Hulk. Aquaman uh, – no. Aquaman can do – Namor was just going to punch Arthur and knock him into the moon. So <laughs> that's – you know, and the fact that he was defeated by dropping a whale on him, no. Thank no. you for bringing that up. Yes, no. Aquaman dropped a whale on Namor. Yeah, and that knocks him out. Namor would pick that whale up and, again, just toss him into another ocean and then rip Aquaman's hook out of his no. hand and probably he stab just- him with it. He just would have climbed through the way that he too, sort yeah. Of viscerated it yeah. and just come out of the other side of it. I feel like I am being a very I feel like I'm being as honest as as almost painfully honest to say Aquaman had no business beating Namor in that team up. <laughs> now I have you know, I have the trading card series for this. Wow. I because uh, I mean some of the team ups that they didn't even do were really cool. You know, I think like Jubilee and Robin, I don't know if they actually ended up doing that in the comic or not, but I remember that trading card. I remember Human Torch versus Firestorm. You know, there was some neat yeah, ideas. Yeah, it was great to see, you know, like the you know, the lower tier characters. Because previously you'd only seen Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, Hulk, yeah. and Teen Titans, and X-Men. You know, that was it. So it was neat to see everybody. And now it became, after that it became commonplace. You know, they did it all the time. Batman, Captain America, Batman, Daredevil. And yep. now, you see, now you see it all the time. So. Well, really cool was what this led to. Was Amalgamum. Remember Amalgamum? Uh, I didn't read any of. I didn't read any oh. of that. I, those characters were so stupid to me. The Dark Claw and Doctor Strange Fate. I was like, no. Nah. They got some amazing artists. Yeah, they exactly. Do. I mean, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, did one of them, and uh, Kevin Nolan did one. I mean, they got a, Dave Gibbons. They got yeah. like super top tier guys, but the characters were so dumb. I was like, no, I, I can't. I'm not buying this. I the characters were no more dumb than the characters we love. I'm sorry. I it's I I I thought the amalgamum thing was an absolute hoot. Um, Magneto and the Metal Men. You know uh, the Dark Claw thing was fun because there was Dark Claw, which was you know your Wolverine thing. But then there was Dark Claw Adventures, <laughs> where they drew him in the Batman animated series style, which was freaking genius. You know now now I'm probably mixing up some of these because there was. Um, Two waves of amalgamum, so I'm probably mixing, you know, some of this up. Like super, there was Spider Boy, which was a combination of Spider, uh, Spider Man, and Superboy. You know, there was some really clever stuff. I mean, I really dug it. Speed Demon, which was Ghost Rider and Flash, I think maybe. You know, just fun, super fun. So anyway, I it's not something I recommend anybody actually read, but <laughs> certainly was fun. <laughs> Uh, what do we got next? Oh, that's okay. So that is going to be the bulk of our conversation. Now we're going to do, if nothing, it, it, not a lightning round, but we're just going to name off a bunch of crossovers, just sort of make you go, oh yeah, maybe say a bit or two about them. Now, I mentioned Armageddon 2001, 
really kicked off this big annuals crossover where, again, you'd have a bookend in the beginning of the, of the, of the summer. You'd do all the annuals the, uh, that were all part of the story, and the end of the summer would end it. You know, they also – they did that for a while, and then they would also do ones where it was just a, a theme going through all the annuals. For example, some of the annual themes I remember being good was there was a year one where all the annuals basically told a year one of the character. And I can't remember whether it was Robin Year One or Nightwing Year One, whatever. I remember that being particularly good. Learned a little more about the character, you know, their their adventures at that time. Used it to good advantage. There was another one called Legends of the Dead Earth, which was basically Elseworlds that were all taking place, like, a, you know, I don't know, 5,000 years in the future or something like that, where Earth was basically abandoned, and this is what heroes were like in the future. And there was some really interesting stuff with that, too. I thought those were two good, those two good, two good ones. Then there were um, a whole bunch of really forgettable ones. <laughs> um, I had to look these up because, honestly, I'm sitting there going, I don't remember any. Apparently, one year, I think it was 94, yeah, there was a series of Elseworlds annuals. I don't even remember that. No, I don't really remember that. Now, I like me some Elseworlds because I like What Ifs, so there's probably some of them in there that I remember. If you guys remember some good ones, please remind me. I don't remember any of them. I'm like, Ur? And don't try and tell me it's the Superman as president, because that wasn't an Elseworlds. That was Armageddon 2001. So, um, what else? Uh, pulp Heroes? Now, I do want to say something about Pulp Heroes. Um, I bought those because they were kind of like old-timey looking things, which yeah. I enjoyed. The Batman annual uh, for that line, the Pulp Heroes, features a cover by uh, one of my former instructors from the Cooper School, Joel Napperstick who was a, a you, know, you know more like a commercial illustrator and mm-hmm. we actually are responsible for getting him into comics. <gasps> really? Because we kept ten- we all loved his work. It was really classic solid beautiful paintings and we were like Joel, you should do comic stuff and he just thought comics were all superheroes and that wasn't, you know, he just never thought of himself like that. But we kind of like pushed him mm-hmm. and he started doing some comic work. And he did this one comic about – he's a big airplane guy. And he did a comic called The Flying Tigers, which was really good. And then he ended up doing this Batman cover, which is Batman in Chinatown. Oh, and wow. there's like a big a big Chinese dragon uh, thing in the behind Batman. And it's a beautiful cover. He kicked its ass. And, <laughs> and it was literally our class because like he re- – we really bonded with him. Like when we graduated, uh, he invited us to his house. All of oh, us wow. after, and we all had a cookout and like played kickball behind his house. So we and I am still friends with Joel to this day. And in fact, Joel did the painted cover for the upcoming Ace Kilroy Volume Two Treasury Edition. Which no is, way! Yes, it's very delayed for various reasons, but it's it will come eventually. But he did the alt cover for Ace Kilroy Volume Two, and I've seen it, and it's beautiful. Yeah, I'm so, still waiting on mine. By yeah, the way. I, everybody is. Don't remind <laughs> me. But uh, it's blame me, everybody. It's coming. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so that was the reason, like, I have any warm feelings for Pulp Heroes is because it has the, that cover by Joel. Now, I want to say I probably bought all of them. And, I, and it's funny, I'm glad you mentioned the covers because that's all I actually remember are the covers. The covers are great. <laughs> the covers are really nice. The covers were awesome because they look like old Pulp magazines. Yep. They're all beautiful. But I can't remember anything. I think Aquaman maybe was dealing with a dame. Maybe, yes, uh, yeah. That is a nice cover, too. It's got okay. the, and, and that has a story about Tusky the Walrus in it. Oh, jeez. But I'm sorry. I have to put Pulp Heroes in general down as the forgettable crossovers. Uh, there was another one called Ghosts 
that honestly, if Chad Bokelman hadn't led us, yeah, in- really, yeah. <laughs> Chad Bokelman uh, led us in a blog crossover a year or two ago where we all sort of talked about the ghost annuals. If he hadn't done that, I wouldn't even remember they existed. Yep. Uh, I think that was 98. And uh, it was basically tell, you know, tell ghost stories in your annual. And I woof, woof, barely don't remember any of it other than what we did. And, of course, since I, we're talking about annuals, I have to mention, yes – I'm not kidding when I said it. JL Ape, Guerrilla Warfare in 1999, where all of the Justice League were turned into talking gorillas. God. I think what it was, you remember, remember, you know, people, they used to say that comic books would sell better if you put a gorilla in it. Yes, Julie, one of Julius Schwartz's maxims. And they even got to the point where they had to limit how many gorillas could be on the covers of DC Comics in a given month because everybody was doing it. And so I guess they just kind of thought this would be fun, sort of a harken back to those days. Yeah, they were wrong. Um, It was not fun. (laughs) Now, something good did come out of it uh, for Nightwing, the comic Nightwing. One of the gorillas, they were able to remove its heart and gave it to Blockbuster, and he he helped survive. I mean, so they actually worked it into the plot of the Nightwing monthly comic, which is kind of crazy, but... (laughs) Whimsy is a tough thing to do, and when it's forced, it's it's pretty deadly. And I feel like JLA, JLA was forced whimsy. It was expensive. You know, annuals were pricey. You remember, you know, when your comic was I don't know a dollar fifty, let's say I don't know what they were ninety nine. More than but. that, even I think. But yeah, okay, yeah, they were probably two or three bucks, and the annual would be a couple more bucks on top of that. Yeah. It's like uh, not fun whimsy, too expensive. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now that we're, I wanted to also bring up some of the pseudo crossovers. These weren't really crossovers, but they were sort of themed books that you would buy stuff there. The fifth week events, um, Girl Frenzy, which is one where they, they did a lot of female-centric books, like Lois Lane had one, Tomorrow Woman had one, The Mist had one from Starman. They're all uh, women-focused. Um, the Birds of Prey, back before I, they had their own monthly book. That was kind of a fun one. It had really neat trade dress, uh, really nice design work on the covers, I thought. So that was kind of a fun one. Uh, in the not-so-fun category was the Silver Age, where it was another sort of whimsy thing, where they, they told basically Silver Age stories in modern day, and it, they were very Silver Age, and yet in modern continuity, and it was, it was I don't know, I don't even know if I finished reading them all. It was a chore. It was, it was a labor of love by the people who worked on it, and as a fan, it was not a labor of love. So not all nice artwork. Again, another there was a lot of nice art in those. I remember the covers were great. Yeah, they they looked very Silver Age. Yeah. they really did. Alex and Ross did a cover. And, did he really? Yeah, I think Ty Templeton did one. There was a lot of nice artwork in those. Ty Templeton, I think he did one with Lex on the cover, didn't he? Something like that. Yeah, like maybe a bank robbery and Lex. I want to say. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, beautiful stuff, but the stories just were so painful. Uh, then a fifth week event that they did two of that I thought were highly successful was Tangent. You're a big fan of the Tangent comic. I love me some You're tangent willing to go to bat for a Tangent comic. I will go to bat. Now, I have not read – they did a Tangent series of stories a couple years ago, um, like around 2006, 2007. I, don't, I, I own all 12. There's, it's like the Reign of Superman or something like that or whatever, Tangent. They're, honestly, I have them sitting on a shelf. I still haven't read them. I, have, I bought every issue, and I haven't read them yet. So I can't, can't vouch for that. But the original Tangent run – and then the second tangent run, they, they did, you know, like one of the major heroes in the DC universe was the Atom. He was sort of the Superman character. The high idea of it was take a character's name 
and do something completely different with it, where like the Flash was essentially um, what's that girl's name from the movie Clueless, who was Batgirl. Alicia, Alicia Silverstone. Silverstone is basically Alicia Silverstone's character in Clueless as a superhero. She was the Flash. Her power was to do a big, bright flash of light. And she was famous and popular and all this stuff. Green Lantern was, uh, was an Asian story. I, don't, I can't remember whether it was Chinese or Japanese. I can't remember. But they had like a, a green – literally a green paper lantern was where all this power came from. And it wasn't like Green Lantern. They were more like a – almost like a Crypt Keeper kind of storytelling stuff. Really neat stuff. Love Tangent. So I, I just can't get it. Oh, man, it was so good. <laughs> Sorry. I get real passionate about that one. <laughs> the Janus Directive, which was uh, a, a John Ostringer-led espionage crossover. They crossed over, like, Checkmate and Suicide Squad and Firestorm got dragged into it. I want to say Captain Adam got dragged into it. Maybe another book or two. I remember that one being pretty good because it was very small scale in that it wasn't a lot of books. And it really dealt with the whole Black Ops sort of world. So, really dug that one. War of the Gods. Oh, War of the Gods. Oh. What's, what do they say about the uh, Road to Hell's Pay with Good Intentions? Um, this was a very well-intended crossover. It was going to be the big one for, what, what year was this one? Because this was a big deal. Um, I'm scrolling through my list here. 91. Okay. You know, they, this was George Perez, you know? George Perez, who had done great things on Wonder Woman. He was known for Crisis. He's doing a crossover. This thing's going to be huge. And it just didn't pay off. I thought it was interesting because it was the Roman gods versus the Greek gods. And Wonder Woman was backing the Greek gods. Shazam was backing the Roman gods. And you found out Shazam actually came from the Roman gods. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And it just it, it didn't come. I don't, I don't remember a lot of the details. I want to say there were delays. I think the art didn't come together. The story didn't really come together. And it was a just for the fans. I remember it was a real big disappointment. Ugh. No comment on that one. No, Didn't know if you read it. No, okay. I, these are all complete blanks yeah. to me. And I don't mean to put you on the spot with that one. That was just a pretty big one. So I mean, I, I looked through it a little, but it's just, yeah. yeah. Eclipse of the darkness within. Oh gosh, I got to mention that one. If nothing else, because I had a giant purple gem glued to the cover. Oh god! It really, yeah. I mean, this was like the height of that kind of stuff. Uh. It was a purple gem, glue, plastic gem glued to the cover. That uh, Michael Bailey said this on on that episode we did, the number seventeen of his show. Basically, if you filed it in your comic boxes and you had a, and it was kind of tight in that box, it would ruin the comic in front of it. It's the uh, it's the sticky fingers of comic books. I don't know what that is. The Rolling Stones album, Sticky Fingers, had a zip, zipper, an actual working zipper. Oh, really? And, uh, designed by Andy Warhol, and it realized that if you pressed, if you kept your album in there, it scratched the album. Yeah. <laughs> that is hilarious. It was that kind of thing, yeah. And uh, it, it was drawn by Bart Sears. So, I mean, the art was gorgeous. You know, for he did the bookends. He did the part one and part two. Right. Um, the annuals were really, really sketchy and questionable. There was a Shazam Superman fight, which everyone was excited about. And they did kill the Will Payton Starman, which I'll never forgive them for. <laughs> In fact, somebody read Eclipso, The Darkness Within Number 2, before me. And they're like, did you read it yet? I'm like, no. Like, but, but, but. I'm like, I don't want to know. Don't spoil it for me. Don't tell me they killed Starman. And he just looked at me and he's like, so you did read it? Like, no, you asshole. <laughs> Thanks so much. I would just pick something random out of the air. I didn't know I'd be right. 
So I was pretty bummed about that. Uh, Death and Return of Superman, that's obviously something people could write a dissertation on, but, you know, that's worth meriting. There was a lot of crossovers there. Batman, Nightfall to Night Quest, another huge, huge crossover. Uh, you know, no list of crossovers from the 90s, Rob, would be complete without mentioning Bloodlines. <laughs> it's so popular, there's a blog about it. Our friend Diablo Flank runs a blog about Bloodlines, and he rarely talks about the Bloodline characters. <laughs> Oh, Bloodlines. Oh, another one of uh, the road to hell's paved with good intentions. Um, the idea was DC wanted to introduce a bunch of new v- characters, you know, heroes and villains of the DC universe. So they came up with this scheme to do it, and it was awful. It was so 90s. It was, what year was that? Oh, geez. That was 93. Yeah, that makes sense. Right at the downfall of the comic industry. Weird-looking aliens that didn't even look that good. The insectoid aliens would bite move you. Move on, please. Just move okay. on. For God's sake. It's very late. Fin- We're talking about bloodlines. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> Final night. Um, I, I go back and forth on this one. Decent concept where the world goes dark and how do they survive. And they have to fight back. And, and Hal Jordan sacrifices his life to save the, the Earth. Um, so there, there's some – last time I talked about it, I wasn't very favorable on it. Now I've kind of changed my position. So there's some good moments in there. But overall, it was kind of one of those like, oh, it's the annual crossover. Oh, let's get it over with. Genesis was a burn-led one that I don't even remember. I have no Except, memory of that at all. I saw it on the list. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. It's something about losing faith. <laughs> I, okay. All right. And I read it, and I read a bunch of the crossovers. Don't remember nothing. Okay. DC 1 million. Oh. I hate those. I didn't – I liked the Starman entries in it because it was all tied into the Starman comic very well. But for the most part – oh, Our Man was good too. The character of Our Man, that, like his monthly book that came out of that was really good. The guy who like is interested in, in the numbering of books hates that there are one millionth issues out there. <laughs> that just – I'm not OCD like you are, but that that bothers me profoundly that like you look at an Overstreet Guide and it's like – you know, this series one to number 267. Oh, there's also number one million. I just hate that. There's also an issue number zero, and in some cases, there's even an issue negative one. I hate. Oh, those are so good. Please. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Day of Judgment, Jeff John's first attempt at a big crossover. Um, not bad. You know, hell comes to earth, basically. Uh, not bad. I mean, they did some weird stuff with Blue Devil in it. But, and Hal Jordan becomes the specter, which I actually was in favor of. I kind of dug Hal Jordan's the specter. Not that the series was as awesome as it could have been, but it was a neat concept. And then finally, just wanted to close it out as the 90s closed out with Batman No Man's Land. Oh my gosh. What an amazing crossover that was. Across through all the Batman books. It was a year long. I mean, it had to have driven the editorial and writers nuts to do this. Year-long story where Gotham City was shut down and cut off from the rest of the country. And it was all about the various gangs. Like a lot of the Batman foes had their own gangs. Joker had a gang and Penguin had a gang. And they were all taking over different parts of Gotham. And, and Gordon stayed behind to try and keep the peace. And and a lot of Batman Dark Knight Rises. Um, yeah, I was about to say. It. it seems like I wonder if Nolan read that. It's, yeah, it's a lot it was, of in there. they stole a lot of it from there. And oh, wow. You can get it now in four trades. And I highly recommend it. Um, it really is some exceptionally good Batman stuff. If you want to go through a Batman phase, this is where you do it, folks. So, uh, that exhaustive look at some of the crossovers was fun. Uh, 
JLAP. Uh, no, no, no. You ended. We ended on an up note on No Man's <laughs> Land. Let's just stop there. Let's not bring up any of the other ones again, please. All right, folks. Tell you what. Uh, <laughs> write into the show or put comments on our blogs. Tell us some of your favorite summer vacation comics. Tell us some of your favorite or least favorite crossovers from the 80s and 90s. Have fun with it as we did. Don't take this too seriously. Just have a good time with it. And uh, you can reach us on our blogs. You can uh, find Aquaman Shrine at AquamanShrine.net. You can also find them on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. You can find Firestorm Fan at FirestormFan.com. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram, all the same handle as well. Rob, what's the email address for the show? Firewaterpodcast at Comcast.net. Yep. And the Tumblr? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. And you will find uh, pictures that Rob's going to give us of comic books. Um, cause that's what we want. Pictures of comic books. And <laughs> by the way, I didn't tell you, you know, I went through a phase like that too. I took a photograph of Aquaman, the second miniseries. The, it was a great cover. That first issue cover was really good. Mm-hmm. The one where Aquaman's like breaking out of a, like a wooden like shadow box or something. Like there's all these little tiny images and he's like bursting out in the woods, actual physical wood. Yes. It was a sculpture. I think it was Tom. I forget the name of the artist. Payer? Was it Tom? No, Payer? Tom Payer. Uh, all right, but I uh, I actually took a photo of that cover because I wanted to remember it, but with a black and white camera or a black <laughs> and white film. What was I doing? Arts. Anyway, <laughs> so um, so you'll find some photos out there uh, and images from what we're talking about on the Tumblr. And anything else before I forget, Rob? I don't think so. So until next time, folks, fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and Friends forever. Yeah.